0: Hello, Insiders, and a very pleasant good afternoon to you, wherever you may be. This is your host, Bruce Ash, going solo, welcoming you to a special Veterans Day weekend edition of Inside Track. Producer Tom also joins us running the board. Ebb has the day off for Veterans Day weekend. I'm in rural Virginia this weekend with our son Matthew and his family, visiting the farm and enjoying the grandkids Lev and Lou. Thanks to all of you for joining us this afternoon. We have a special guest for you today in just a few minutes. Uh, but after that, Ben Kesley, Wall Street Journal war correspondent, combat reporter, and retired Marine joins us to talk about his new book, Bravo Company, a deployment to Afghanistan and its aftermath for this Veterans Day weekend edition of Inside Track. Before we get started, Ev and I want to remind you, as we normally do, to support all of our great sponsors, Tucson Iron & Metal Retail. If you have a project at your business, home, or ranch, call Tucson Iron & Metal Retail, or you'll find the best selection of steel products for fences, gates, roofs, or your special art project, just like I did. You can reach Jamie or Craig at 209-1576. Corazon Cabinets also supports the show. Stop by the Home Idea Showroom at 4700 South Park. Call Joy or Allie at Corazon to set up an appointment to plan your new kitchen or bath at 488-2266. Don't forget Eric Rudin and his great team from Essential Pest Control. They're here to help make your home free of pests, vermin, and weeds. Call Essential at 886 3029 and lastly but not leastly, also supporting Inside Track is my co-host and broadcast partner Eb Wilkinson from Wilkinson Wealth Management. Call Eb at 777-1911 and hire him to help you retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. When we return from our first break this afternoon our special Veterans Day guest is Ben Kesley war correspondent combat warrior and marine veteran he'll join us to talk about his best selling book but before we hear from Mr Kesley on this special Veterans Day weekend broadcast friend of the show and one of the hardest working Volunteer activists in our community, Onita Davis, joins us to help drum up support for one of our favorite causes, Wreaths Across America. Welcome, Onita.
1: Thank you so much, Bruce, and a wonderful Veterans Day weekend greeting to all our veterans who are listening.
0: Thanks. So, Onita, why don't you remind our listeners exactly what Wreaths Across America is all about?
1: Well, first of all, I think uh, Karen Wooster said it best. She said, we are not here at the cemeteries to decorate graves. We are here to remember not their deaths, but their lives. And I think that's really important for everyone to remember right now that we are trying with Reefs Across America to honor those who have served our country faithfully and it's still a great deal it's still only 15 dollars a reef to place a reef on a veterans grave and bruce this year i'm sorry to say we have not reached our goal for Milana, and all the other local tucson cemeteries are also suffering
0: so let's get to the most important thing um, how do our Inside Track listeners support wreaths across America?
1: You can go online or you can call me and I'll share my, my information with you and sponsor a wreath. And it doesn't have to be a whole $15 if you don't have it. You can donate whatever you have, and it'll all be added together so that we can provide wreaths for our veterans. Now, you can go to org backslash A-Z for Arizona 0011P as in Peter. And that will take you to our page where there you just simply click on the red button and sponsor a reef. You can do it with a credit card or you can contact me if you'd rather... Uh, do it by check, and I'd be happy to give you more information, and you can reach me at 520-229-1064 or Google American Legion Auxiliary or a Valley, and we will come up.
0: And, and that is and that's easily done uh, right online anybody can do that or they can call you at your at your on your cell number so uh, Odita we'll, we'll get back to this we'll repeat those instructions again uh, in just a few minutes uh-huh. talk about the goal of Reese across America to remember to honor and to teach
1: to remember honor and teach remember those who are serving right now honor those who have died and to teach not only our young people, but to teach everyone the importance of patriotism. You know, we had over 15 million served during World War II. And now we have less than 175,000 still alive. Those people were willing to sign that blank check up to and including their lives for our country. And I just think not only for the, uh, the number of people who are willing to serve in the military, a very small percentage of our total population, what, less than 1% serve to protect our country. And we need to honor and remember them. Uh, I would like to also encourage people to think about volunteering uh, to come out to the cemetery and to help us lay the reefs. Over la- um, Last year, we had over 2 million volunteers. Isn't that wonderful? Wow. Across the country, we laid 2.4 million veterans' wreaths, and I just think that says a lot about who we are as a nation and I think we need something right now to make us proud again. You bet.
0: So, so Anita, where do um, all the wreaths come from?
1: Comes from a wreath farm in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> People think that they are that we're making them here locally. No, they are trucked here. Over five hundred and twenty-five truckloads of wreaths were delivered across the country last year by hundreds of volunteer professional truck drivers and donated equipment from approximately 390 carriers. So these companies donate their trucks, they decorate them for reefs across America, and then volunteer truckers pick the reefs up in Maine, and drive them all the way across country. And that's why our deadline is November 28th. We want to make sure that those wreaths reach all the cemeteries in time for Remembrance Day on December 17th.
0: So let's talk about how many grave sites at our local state military cemetery as well as the other uh, cemetery locations um, we'd like to have covered this year.
1: Okay, um, re- let me start with Marana, because obviously uh, that is the cemetery that the Valley American Legion Auxiliary uh, supports. And although we support all the local ones, that's the one we'll be at yeah, on December 17. And right now, we are short 542 wreaths. Our goal this year was 2,500 reefs, and that's a new cemetery, and it's filling up fast. Last year, our goal was 1,900, so we are short over 500 reefs. We're at 78% of gold, and so we're asking people to help us at least cover all the graves at this, our newest cemetery and our smallest cemetery, but evergreen, is also short. They had a huge goal of over 14,000 uh, graves. And, and, of course, we know that's probably not going to happen, right? And they're only at 5% of their goal. Wow. Holy, Holy Hope is only at 9% of its goal of 12,000 reefs. And let me see. Islan is at 43% of its goals of 1,700 reefs. South Lawn is at 43% at 1,700 reefs. And then Sierra Vista is at 15% with 4,200 graves. Wow. So you can see um, this year things are really tight for us. I know they're tight for everyone. And I think, unfortunately, Bruce, we're just seeing the impact of the economy.
0: Well, Uh, Let's talk again, uh, give those instructions again for our listeners, how they can reach you and how they can make their gift to Wreaths Across America.
1: Okay, I think the easiest way would be to, if you can Google our name and go to our website, again, it's American Legion Auxiliary in Oro Valley. And um, there is a, a page there that gives you instructions on how to order Reese. It has the form that you can mail directly to Reese Across America. They're in Columbia Falls, Maine. Um, and of course, given how slow the mail is now, I encourage everyone, if you're doing it by mail, to do it quickly. But the form is online for you. You can also go directly to reefsacrossamerica dot org backslash a z zero zero one one p as in Peter and that will take you to our reefs across America page. You click on the red button. There's a drop down box so you can choose any one of our local cemeteries. But we're asking you to help us with Marana, but any one of the local cemeteries. And no, the wreath will not be shipped to you. It will go directly to the cemetery. You are welcome to go out to any one of our local cemeteries and help to lay the wreath.
0: Well, thanks for joining us, Onita. Uh, we'll be talking about this again on uh, next week's show. And thanks for what you do helping us honor veterans. Eb and I will be sending our support to you as we have in past years. Um, so Let's get out. Let's get as many wreaths covered as we possibly can. Before November 28th. Before November 28th. (laughs) Mr. Producer, it's time to uh, press the button and play the following great messages from our sponsors. You're listening to Inside Track on KVOI, Trusted Local News and Talk. We'll be right back. Customers come first at Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. A lot of the the cities and counties around have initiatives for artists, but I think we're one of the premier artist suppliers for steel. First Saturday of every month, you can come down early and actually go through the scrapyard across the street. It's seven acres of metal. You can walk through with our people and pick out what you want. It's always interesting to see what the artists have done. We've done uh, actually a couple projects with the U of A engineering department and music department where the engineering music students came down together. They had to pick something out of the scrap and uh, they had to build an instrument. And we have one of those in front of the plant. Some really cool things come out of the scrap. Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday.
2: Essential pest Control leaves bugs belly up with science. You mean you don't use a shoe? (sighs) No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? none of that only solutions that target insect biology using chemistry to help protect the environment
1: people and their pets Huh? essential pest control leaves bugs belly up call 886-3029 or visit essentialpest.com
3: this is eb wilkinson of wilkinson wealth management are you letting rising inflation interfere with your ammo budget don't do that Let us show you how to buy the same goods and services 20 years from now as you can today. We manage money for gun owners and we can guide you to retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911 or wilkinsonwealthmgmt.com.
0: Welcome back to Inside Track. We're pleased to welcome U.S. Marine Corps veteran and Wall Street journalist Ben Kessling to the show. Ben is a very well-regarded journalist who has written a new book, Bravo Company, an an Afghanistan Deployment and its Aftermath. It's a book about the soldiers who served there under very dangerous conditions. Ben is a Midwest correspondent with the Wall Street Journal in the Chicago Bureau, where he focuses on domestic security and veterans' issues. Uh, he was previously handling national security and veterans' issues uh, in the Journal's Washington Bureau. He also has experience uh, as a foreign uh, combat correspondent. Ben graduated from Wabash College and has a Master of Divinity degree. I think that's very impressive, from Harvard Divinity School. He attended the... Medill uh, School of Journalism, Northwestern uh, University. He also served as a Marine Corps infantry officer and listen to this, he's a two-day Jeopardy champion. Uh, he's, he's quite a diverse fellow. Uh, if, if we have time, maybe we'll get to, the, to your winning uh, on, on, on uh, Jeopardy. Ben's book, Bravo Company, is available everywhere and is published by Abrams. This Veterans Day 2022, I could not think of any other topic which might be more appropriate and timely than the health and safety of veterans who served our country in Afghanistan. Thanks for joining us, Ben.
4: Bruce, thank you very much for having me. I'm I'm
0: really happy to be here. Sure. Full disclosure: The Wall Street Journal, uh, where you are employed, is my primary news source of record, and it's the first thing I read every day. Uh, Tell our listeners how you came to write Bravo Company uh, and Afghanistan deployment and its aftermath.
4: Well, as you as you said, I'm am a Marine myself, and uh, so it's uh, a strange thing to come in and write about a bunch of soldiers for for a book. But uh, in 2019, I covered uh, Bravo Company came together a decade after their deployment to Afghanistan, and they had a reunion because they were having um, they were having issues with suicidal suicidal ideologies, attempted suicides, um, some people just having trouble. Um, there, there's some readjustment issues and they decided to come together as a group to try to stand step leading and if they could if they could come together as a team again then they could maybe um, have strong arms around them so I wrote about that um, as a reporter for the Wall Street Journal and then realized that there was a lot more to this story and you know they always say you want to you write the book that you want to read well I wanted to I wanted to know what it was like uh, and having experienced it myself I wanted to kind of get it through the, another set of people's eyes from joining the Army, going through train up for a big mission, for a big deployment, being in that deployment and t- sort of telling the visceral story of what it's like to deploy, see people injured, and s- everyday stresses of a deployment. And then the important thing is I followed them back home and for a decade uh, after they came back talking about their highs, their lows, Uh, The good things, the bad things that come with uh, getting reestablished in in the civilian world, making that transition and recognizing that your army, your army experience is something that is indelibly marked you and that will always be with you. But that doesn't mean it has to define you. And uh, so that's that's the story that I tell.
0: So you actually started this book, I I guess, you know, upwards to 10 years ago because you've been following this group of uh, warfighters, right?
4: Well, interestingly enough, the um, I did not I did not know these guys until ten years after their deployment. So mm. and and so the, the interesting thing was, um, I got all of the all of the accounts of their deployment and all the things that they did before that. Before I ever came to know these guys, when I was still in uniform doing my thing as a marine way back when, I had no idea who these guys were. So twenty nineteen was the first time I met them. But that that gave me the task of drilling down deep in interviews and in research to really know what that deployment was like for them. And uh, you know, one of the one of the uh, greatest compliments I've had when when uh, talking to some of the members of Bravo Company uh, after the book has come out is they say, "Man, you nailed it! You, it's it's like you were there for, for this deployment." And I think that that was, uh, that's uh, a very a very important aspect of this book is that. Um, a lot of times, when people write books of you know memoir or stuff where they were there, um, there can be like a um, almost a sloppiness to it. Um, you, you know, you want to tell your war story, or this one thing sticks out in your mind, so you want to write about it. But if you have to drill down and do research, and you have to drill down and interview people, you find out what really matters to them or to a group of them. And I think that in a in almost a paradoxical way, you can tell a. A more nuanced picture and a more accurate um, picture of what a deployment was like, if you're doing it all through research and 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 um, and interviews.
0: So you had access then to the uh, to the daily reports uh, that came uh, from uh, the soldiers fighting in Bravo Company um, uh, as a as a source reference for you. So this is
4: something I, that I love to talk about is. Um, I had, I had access uh, to, to take a look at some of those some of those um, uh, daily situation reports or whatever uh, and some of, the, so some, some of the contemporaneous material. But uh, one of the important things, important project aspects of Bravo Company uh, and other books about the Iraq and Afghanistan war is that it's up to journalists to really to write the histories of these wars because the Department of Defense in a lot of ways has advocated their history um the history telling history keeping aspect of things it used to be back in the day with like our, our uh you know our, our parents and grandparents generation they were official unit historians and there were paper trails everywhere and in the global war on terror as it's called you know with iraq and afghanistan there hasn't been a uh, hasn't been a concerted effort to keep those histories and a lot of the Uh, A lot of the messages and a lot of the reports are done over electronic, you know, electronic sources or email or um, the Defense Department equivalent of like chat room type things. And some of this ephemera just disappears. And so there isn't really a good history of Iraq and Afghanistan being kept by the military itself, mm. and so uh, there's, you know, reporters such as myself and other journalists that I talk to feel it's, you know, this is our duty to write that first draft of history and do our best to get that research. So, sort um, of Bravo Company, there wasn't really uh, there wasn't really a lot of historical record available. I looked at what was what I could find, but the historical record was getting these interviews and these primary source, uh, these primary source recollections from, from the Men of Bravo company who were over there. Um, and, uh, you know, I talk about the mem- memory. Uh, you know, there's one incident where a sergeant is, uh, a sergeant is killed. Um, he, he gets blown up by an IED, uh, his name is Brunkhorst. And Brunkhorst gets blown up by an IED. And I talk about trying to find out what happened to him talking to all these eyewitnesses. And there, I think in the book, I have five different accounts. All five different accounts that are all true and they're all false. Because they're all true and they're all false because they are exactly as people remember them. And because things weren't set down at that time, you know, memory is this thing that once something happens to you, you have this like, adamantine remembrance of that event, even though it may be a little wrong. It might not be the same as, you know, if Bruce, if you, if you and I see the same thing, and somebody asks us what we saw, we're gonna have two different accounts of it. And so trying to cut through that is a very important thing. And uh, I go into that a little bit with, with Sergeant Brunkhorst's death, there are five different ways that people remember that he died. And I include all those in the book to say, this is what happens when memory is as it is interrogated, and you try to you try to get to the to the truth, the ground truth of it. In some ways, there's there's maybe no way to ever really get to it.
0: Hmm. That's fascinating. Uh, as we as you said, and as I mentioned in your introduction, you're a Marine Corps veteran, um, and you were also a divinity school uh, graduate from Harvard. Um, when you wrote uh, Bravo Company. Were you looking, uh, were you writing and looking through your eyes as a as a war fighter yourself, or how much influence did your divinity uh, background have on how you wrote the book and, and looked at the issues? both of those both of those experiences
4: um, left yeah i mean made an incredible mark on the book and on my reportage and uh and i think it's you know as as you go through life life isn't um isn't a series of disparate events in in life that kind of come one after another don't are connected right our life builds and uh, all of our past experiences inform what we do in the present and my experience as a marine infantryman uh, gave me what i like to say is it made me um, an effective interpreter of Bravo Company's story, this Army Company story, which I told. And just as you have an interpreter in Afghanistan, you know but I, I actually talk, uh, I talk about the Bravo Company's Afghan interpreter in the book, who um, we could kind of follow him a little bit in his career working with American forces, and then he gets out of Afghanistan. Um, last year when Kabul fell, and he, and he came back to the United States, and his Johnny, or at least that's what they call him, and he came back to live with the folks in Bravo. And I thought it was so important to include this interpreter because an interpreter is a key person in any unit. Not only is an interpreter translating the language from one to another, from English into Dari or posture back again, but they're interpreting body language, they're interpreting culture, they're explaining things to you. And I felt my job uh, was to interpret the combat experience and the veteran experience that Bravo Company was going through and my background as a Marine helped give me that language and understand, uh, an understanding of how to explain that. And then my divinity background, I think, also informed things because um, there's one section of the book where I talk about um, the soldier Jordan's Lake and Jordan um, has a the, the suicide bombers approaching a checkpoint. But when you're in combat, there's, you know, in retrospect, it's easy to know, hey, that was a bad guy, or that was a suicide bomber, or something bad was about to happen. But in the moment, in the moment of combat, there are no certainties like that. It's very hard to say, ah, that's a suicide bomber. We need to, we need to stop it. No, that's just a human being coming your way that you've got a bad sense about, it, or have a suspicion about. It. And I talk about Jordan Flake. Jordan Flake is a soldier who, when he saw the suicide bomber coming towards him, he didn't see, he saw the threat, a potential threat, but you know what else he saw? He also saw a fellow human being modeled in the image of God coming towards him. And having my divinity degree, I was able to sort of use that language and open up that space to talk about, you know, when when soldiers face things in combat zones, there's, there's something There's something divine that's swirling around in the air because there's life and death situations at all times and Jordan Flake He stayed his finger his trigger finger um, And didn't shoot this person because he didn't want to take the life of another fellow human being And that turned out to be a suicide bomber who detonated himself and uh, gravely injured one of Jordan's um, One of Jordan's fellow soldiers. So those that's how um, that's how the, the, the divinity degree and the language and knowledge of infantry uh, of the infantry from my time, the Marine
2: Corps, uh, informed the story. Wow.
0: Um, ben, I'm reading the memoirs of Ulysses S. Grant right now. I'm in the middle of the fighting at Shiloh. Grant writes that if someone was to walk across the field of battle there after the second day, you couldn't take a step without stepping on dead soldiers from both sides. Uh, Many of these men had hardly any training before being thrown into battle. Our soldiers today are arguably the best trained in history, Uh, but Bravo Company suffered three KIAs, 50% were wounded, numerous limb amputations, and had um, uh, their and their injuries were were in some cases right, right. just horrific, but it's the aftermath that, in some respects, is far worse with suicides and 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 you know the hidden the hidden injuries uh, in in a man's psyche and and their uh, psychological uh, makeup, right?
4: Yeah, and I think it's very interesting that you mentioned Grant. Um, I mean. You know, Grant wrote his memoirs right when he was facing down. Yeah. He was facing down the last years of his right, life. I mean, right. he is, you know, essentially was dying while yeah. he was writing them. And he had. There's, I mean, Grant's memoirs have this unbelievable humanity and sparseness to them. They do. Grant was known as a man who could write orders that everybody would understand because they weren't flowery. They were to the point. They didn't have anything excess. And the same thing is seen in his memoirs. And you know, in a way. My book, Bravo Company. I try to do some of that same thing. I don't like I don't put curly cues on things that don't need to be there. I try to make it um, as relatively Spartan as possible, so that the reader doesn't get bogged down, but also so that the experiences can can shine through. And that's one thing that makes Grant's description of, of the of the fields of battle and of his own his own experience, which is extraordinarily honest about, um, such a such a great work. And following the men following the men back from Bravo Company into their time after service. Um, that starkness, that self-realization is something that through hours of, um, many hours of interviewing in depth um, these, these men, and sometimes, it was all men at the time because it was 2009, so there were only men in the infantry. But I also interviewed um, spouses of, of some of the men who, who died uh, by their own hand after they got back, I interviewed parents of of folks who died while they were in combat. So I got some sort of the, the picture from the outside of things as well. And by opening that door, I mean, Grant, when he wrote his autobiography, he was able to open a door into his own humanity. I think because he was such a frank person and also because he was on the precipice of death and when you open a door to talk frankly to someone about their experience in combat and adjusting from coming home from combat it's incredible what you'll get it's incredible what people want to talk about you know we always think um i think as a society we think oh god i don't want to i don't want to bring up stuff with this veteran you know this man or woman is home from combat they just want to put it behind them well, that's not true at all they don't want to put it behind them they want to understand it and they want other people to understand it and they want their story to be told and by opening that door for frank and honest conversation uh it's it's the it's the greatest way i think to to to, to work towards healing to work towards understanding and to work toward documenting what it's like what it's really like to to go to combat and to go home and that's uh, that's something Grant did extraordinarily well, and it's something that I hope I was able to accomplish.
0: Talk about Bravo Company's stay at Operation Resiliency in North Carolina.
4: So that's
1: what
0: I met.
4: I met Bravo at this, at this re, uh, reunion called Operation Resiliency. Um, when, you know when people get out of the military, a lot of times they float along as individual entities. So... I, I, a, a unit comes back from deployment and you know uh, a lot of times you, you may think hey they're sticking together these units are there they, they, they stay together all the time well they don't as soon as the deployment's over a unit breaks apart some people stay but a lot of people go to different units it's always changing and as soon as you come back from from deployment you may go across the country to another unit and you lose that immediate camaraderie and then when you're out of the military you may lose all camaraderie with veterans completely, and you're floating around there as an individual sort of atom, uh, floating around the system. And when you go get treatment, the VA treats you as an individual, with individual therapies and individual treatments, right? And I talked to some of the guys in Bravo, when they got out and they lost lost this this, uh, group of brothers around them. I talked to one guy, um, Jared Lemon, lost an arm on this deployment. And we talk about what it's like trying to find a therapist and it's, 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 one of, it's one of the hardest things you can do because you maybe move to a new town or your therapist gets a new job, and so you have to get another one. And it's not like you can just walk into a room and lay down on a couch and start telling people about your, uh, about your feelings. You have to warm up to them. And it's very difficult to do that. Well, Operation Resiliency, it sought to bring everyone back together so that they weren't free-floating individuals, but they were, again, part of a team, part of a group, part of a part of a military unit. And so um, a veteran service organization partnered with the Department of Veterans Affairs to do this pilot program where they brought all these men back together, um, no cost to them, and uh, such that even even Jordan Flake, who I spoke about before, he was very worried about coming to the deployment because he didn't even have, he didn't have, he was down as much, he didn't have any money, he didn't wanna come, he couldn't even buy people a beer, that's where he was. But everything was paid for at the last minute, his dad slipped him a uh, hundred bucks in folding money so he could travel. And Jordan came back to this deployment, or to the reunion along with these other men. And once they got there together, It was a group of people who had had a congruent experience in combat. Like it wasn't, it was, they knew exactly the experiences that they went through. And then when they got to this reunion, when they could talk and share stories and old jokes, it didn't just evolve into telling those old stories and jokes, but they had VA counselors there that could help them unpack those memories. Okay, why did you tell that story? Tell me more about what that joke means. Um, And they, they gelled and they bonded.
1: And then afterwards, they, they continued that connection. So they had, um, they had a call log, like a, a call tree,
4: so they can call each other. They stay connected. They've already got future reunions planned. And since Operation Resiliency, um, you know, uh, it, it's a whole. I, I almost don't want to say it out loud to, because I you know, want to make sure that it doesn't uh, uh, it doesn't affect things. But they've had zero suicides since then. Mm. Uh, and you know, God willing, this this sort of program that brings people together can 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 keep can keep these men uh, safe and sound and, um, and and want to be alive and want to um, make the most that they can of their lives.
0: Ben, can you stay with us a little longer? We have to take a commercial break, but uh, if, can you stay a little longer so we can complete? Absolutely. All right. We'll be right back with Inside Track. We're talking with uh, Ben about his book, Bravo Company. We'll be right back. I'm proud to welcome my good friends at Tucson Iron and Metal Retail to Inside Track as an advertiser. Jamie Kipper and her staff are conservation experts. They sell round and square steel tubing, metal plate and roofing materials, as well as new and used steel, aluminum, and stainless steel to ranchers, artists, interior designers, roofers, and do-it-yourselfers, just like all of the listeners here. Tucson Iron and Metal Retail is open Monday through Fridays 8 a.m. to 4:30 p.m. and Saturdays 8 a.m. to noon tucson iron and steel retail 701 east 36th street call 520-209-1576 or go to tucsonironretail.com and when you do call mention this ad and receive an additional 10 percent discount on their already great prices
2: essential pest control leaves bugs belly up with science You mean you don't use a shoe? No, we use the latest in technology and innovation to eliminate bugs, termites, weeds, and more. No spray cans and lighters? None of that. Only solutions that target insect biology, using chemistry to help protect the environment, people, and their pets.
1: Huh. Essential Pest Control leaves bugs belly up. Call 886-3029 or visit EssentialPest.com.
3: This is Ed Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management reminding you that every good and excellent thing stands moment by moment on the razor's edge of danger and must be fought for, including getting out of debt, building your wealth, and protecting your God-given right. We manage money for gun owners. Let us help you retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me at 777-1911 or WilkinsonWealthMGMT.com.
0: Welcome back to Inside Track. We are talking with Ben Kensley about uh, his book uh, Bravo Company. Um, and we we're just talking about uh, resiliency and uh, the young man who uh, who had a hundred bucks worth of folding money and uh, went together with his uh, fellow uh, comrades and um, how this group is trying to stay together. Um, my father-in-law was severely injured in Northwest France shortly after D-Day in 1944. He spent 13 months in a body cast, walked with a limp the rest of his life. And some of his friends, uh, said he was much different, uh, as a man after his World War II experiences. In fact, in those days, because there was such poor communications, when, uh, when, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law went to the 50-year reunion of his uh, group um, in the uh, fifth infantry, excuse me, fifth armor. Um, One of the men walked up to my mother-in-law and said, Norma, I'm I'm so sorry that Simon wasn't here to, to join us. You know, we lost him on the battlefield, and she said, "I don't know what you're talking about." I mean, he, he's he's bringing a sandwich over to me right now, um, so you know these these men um, being able to to keep these to keep these communications and be able to talk to each other is really important, isn't it? Yeah, I and mean, it's it's extraordinarily important and. Uh, you know, we think that,
4: uh, I don't know, like that reunions and, and old buddies are going to always stay together. But, you know, anybody who knows who knows a veteran who's been who's been to combat and come home uh, or who's a veteran themselves know that those those relationships don't maintain themselves organically a lot of times. Uh, and it takes work um, and it takes reaching out because, uh, you know, one thing that I. One of the things I found out from this book is that we are brother's keepers, right? Like we are, uh, we have responsibility to others. They have a responsibility to us to maintain those relationships um, and to maintain that um, that duty um, to, to, to keep that burden shouldered. Because um, when you get, when you sign up, for the military. Yeah, you know that you're signing up for something uh, to, to be to be part of a cause that's bigger than you, You're shouldering the bird, but what you don't realize, and well, I, I say this at Bravo Company in the book, that at West Point, you know, they can teach young officers how to lead troops, what it's like to be in combat, they can give you uh, all the preparation you need to succeed on the battlefield. But what they don't teach, and I don't even know if they can teach it, is that unbelievable weight, that unbelievable burden, that unbelievable um, uh, task that you have for the rest of your life that you that you owe the men and women under your command long after the, you come home from the battlefield, long after you take off the uniform. Hmm.
0: Um, in a recent uh, survey by Brookings, 73% of veterans, they write, who fought in Afghanistan, say they feel betrayed by the withdrawal there. Can you talk about that and and how the veterans that you uh, talked with um, react to that uh, hasty exit from Afghanistan? Yes, um, and I, I covered I covered some of that exit and some of the
4: resettlement of, uh, of Afghan uh, Afghan special immigrant visa holders for the for Wall Street Journal. I wrote about that whole that whole process. And yes, there are a lot of people who are. Um, were upset with the way that Afghanistan closed up. Um, but just like everything else in, in the veteran world or um, in the military world, there's not a single mindset of, of, uh, or feeling of, of, of what that was like or what it meant. Um, one of the people in the book that I talk about is Sergeant, Sergeant uh, Alex Harg. Alex Harg, he was on this Bravo company deployment and uh he got out of it with no injuries but then on a future deployment to afghanistan he stepped on an ied and lost both of his legs um and uh harvey knows better than most what it means to to have service and sacrifice he's originally from guadalajara mexico and came to this country as an undocumented immigrant with his parents and um became became a you know a, a great a great american patriot by joining the
0: army yeah. becoming an infantryman and and leaving his legs in Afghanistan well, I talked to Alex
4: Harvey about the the withdrawal as it was happening um, and they said well, what do you think about this man like you know you you have made a you made a tangible sacrifice over there you spent multiple deployments in Afghanistan um you know what are your thoughts on this and he said first of all as far as his legs go hey man the Taliban just did a better job than they did that day they were doing their job and he was doing his job he's got uh, you know, he's not upset about it. It's just something that happened in the, in the day's work. I mean, wow. I don't know. I don't know, Bruce. Man, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I can think
0: that way. No, um, <laughs> no, I agree. That's 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 a strong man to to come yes. to that conclusion. So um,
4: hardy, you know, he just he says, "Hey, I got nothing against the Taliban." And also, um, I knew Afghanistan was going to come to an end. All wars have to come to an end. Peace does come, right? And. Um, so he's got no beef with the fact that um, eventually Afghanistan, uh, you know, we left Afghanistan. What he does have some issues with is the way that we fold them up shop so quickly. Right. And I think that there's, there's nuance, you know, to a lot of, uh, to the way veterans look at the, the Afghanistan uh, withdrawal. And most of them, I've, I've not met a single veteran uh, in personal life or in reporting who's like, oh yeah, we did a great job with that withdrawal. Um, uh, that's the way it should have gone. All of them think, "Oh my God, we, we, we should have we should have done that differently." It could have been done differently, um, and they have. Um, they don't they don't regret their service or think that their service is diminished in any way, um, uh, or that it was a waste or something. But um, it, it could have been done better. Than to a man and to a woman, uh, Afghanistan veterans have told me.
0: Over 30,000 suicides from members of the U.S. Armed Forces since 9-11. Maybe not all of the 30,000 were were war fighters in Iraq and, and Afghanistan. But that number is like four times more than everybody that was killed in action. That is just staggering.
4: The, I mean, the, the context behind Operation Resiliency was, I mean, this this reunion happened in 2019s. The reunion that Bravo Company went to that sort of was the catalyst for this book. And in part, it happened because the VA was willing to try anything, at the time. like anything that might work to get to get uh, veteran suicide numbers down. They were willing to try because. If you recall back in 2019, there were issues with the suicide hotline for veterans. It was, uh, the budgets were all messed up. It wasn't going well. There was a lot of criticism, the Inspector General and the VA. Uh, and Those numbers were just were just hovering um, uh, and, and could be brought down. And so in some ways, the, I mean, the VA told me that they were like, hey, somebody approached us with an idea for this program. And it was, we said, hey, anything to work, we can do it. Um, and so uh, like programs like this, doing a better job of doing transition, helping people find meaning when they get out of the military is, is, is such an important task. And it's a task that we can forget. Like when somebody raises their right hand to take the oath to join the military, um, they're also, and, and you know, we empower them with a paycheck as uh, you know, as the, the civilian populace sends them where they where, where they go on combat because it's an all volunteer army, and uh, we live in a democracy. But what we don't realize, I think, is that there's this tail to that military service, uh, 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 like a long tail that, that hangs out the back of it. Insofar as you raise your right hand to join the military. You're also raising your right hand to become a veteran when you come home, to be a citizen soldier. And um, lawmakers, elected officials, and me and you as citizens of this country need to realize that it's not just about these, these men and women who go on a deployment and taking care of them then, but then we have, to, we have to take care of them when we come back. I mean, my colleague a few years ago, um, my colleague Mike Phillips, he wrote this story about the last remaining Civil War pensioner. This was, this was the last decade. Yeah, It was a daughter a daughter of a Civil War veteran who was still getting a pension yep. from the Civil War. Um, and to realize we've gone through a lot of burn pit, uh, discussions of burn pit um, issues, and that's that's something that's still gonna shake out. Agent Orange, how long did that take right. to, to really figure out the, the impact of Agent Orange on veterans? And now we're gonna figure out the impact of burn pits, the impact of PTSD of a traumatic brain injury of all these things, we have to budget that as a people, both in monetary um, in monetary value, but also in
0: labor and the and, and the debt that we owe um, veterans uh, when they come home. Well, there's no question about the debt we owe. Ben, what what has been the reaction to Bravo Company from uh, the Bravo Company, the book from the soldiers of Bravo Company? Talk a little about that.
4: Yeah, and this goes back to when I first started interviewing them, and uh, was wondering how this would go. Um, I, you know, started these interviews with these with these with the men and, and the men of Bravo Company, and some of the the, the women of uh, who, were, who were the dependents, uh, the wives, or, or those who were left after after men lost their lives. And I wondered how long it would take to drill down and, and really get them to talk and once I sort of got over the initial pleasantries and they realized, hey, this is somebody who uh, comes from this background, who understands, who wants to talk about the realness of the experience. They started, they started opening up very quickly and I'm, I'm amazed at how much these, these, these men and women, uh, but the men of Bravo Company who were there, I wasn't there. They talked to me though and they, they wanted to, uh, they wanted to have their story told. They wanted it to be understood, and I, um, I felt a great, a great debt to them, and um, realized that I was tying myself to their story as well by writing because I had to do uh, a, a damn fine job with it, or it would be um, it would be squandering squandering an opportunity and squandering sort of a divine privilege to tell the story. So I was tied to the hip to these guys, and when i finished the book I, I wrote it as a journalist right so i gave not a single person in the book was able to read any sections on before it was published because um i i wanted to write it as as a reporter and as a journalist and not have any sort of pre-publication review by anyone which meant that when this thing was ready to go i was i was <laughs> i was very scared I was very scared of showing it to them and saying, "Here is your deployment, and the ten years afterwards, in a book, uh, is it accurate?" <laughs> and the men of Bravo Company, uh, most all of them, have said, "This is this is this is accurate. This is a, um, a thoughtful portrayal of what we went through, and of what all grunts and infantrymen go through, and what they go through when they come home." And they have. Been thankful. Um, most of them have been have been thankful that their story is there uh, between two covers, and it will be there forever. Um, how many companies? Uh, how many how many companies are able to say that? Very few. Um, very few have their their feelings, their experiences, uh, their highs and their lows documented, and that'll mm-hmm. be there for their kids uh, and to help themselves uh, understand it. So it's been received very well by Bravo Company. It's also been received well by other veterans who have been to combat and can see their story and Bravo Company's story, because in those specifics, there are uh, there are a great number of, of sort of generalities uh, that, are, that cut across generations of, of men and women who, who have served and who have gone down range.
0: Ben Kessling, the book is Bravo Company, an afghanistan Deployment and its Aftermath, published by Abrams, available everywhere. Uh, ben, thanks very much for joining us today on Inside Track, and thank you sincerely for your your own service uh, in our armed forces uh, to America, uh, both in uniform as well as an author and reporter. Bruce, thank you very much. I really enjoyed the conversation. There was an election this week all across America. The results, remarkably, now some five days after, later are still not complete, but the trends suggest that Republicans will take control of the U.S. House. Likely we'll not know the full impact on the Senate until after December 6, after the Georgia runoff. We've had some successes here and elections across America, and also some disappointments. We'll talk about the election and the future more next week when Ebb and another special guest join us to discuss the political implications of the twenty twenty two midterm elections. But for today, but for today, let's praise and honor all of the brave men and women who serve our country and have served our company, our country. Our nation owes much to every one of them. My father, Private Paul Ash, was an underage volunteer into the Army of the United States at age 15 years, 10 months. He served as a military policeman and later, after being discharged and a recipient of his GI education benefits, he graduated from the University of Arizona and was commissioned a first lieutenant in the Army Reserves, where he served another four years. George Patton once said, the highest obligation and privilege of citizenship is bearing arms for one country. Harry Truman said America was not built on fear. America was built on courage, on imagination, and an unbeatable determination to do the job at hand. My father-in-law, Lieutenant Simon Moret, served America fought bravely and was seriously injured in northwest France in 1944 as part of the Super Sixth in a motorized infantry unit outside of Brest. For his bravery, he was recipient of a Bronze Star and Purple Heart. Poppy was injured there and spent 13 months in Army hospitals before being medically retired and later spent the rest of his working adult life as part of the Hughes Aircraft engineering team, building the TOW and Maverick missiles, although we can never discuss any of that uh, with his family or friends for the rest of his life. He was quite a man and a real brave American. I never had the opportunity to serve myself. All I can do, and many of us also, to support our country uh, are are to do so in the ways that we can. But as we close with the theme from the Pacific, let's all for just a few more moments give thanks and praise to those who took the oath and wore the uniform to defend freedom's call here and abroad, as well as their families who they leave behind. God bless America and all those who served. We'll join you again at 167 hours. Until then, on behalf of my broadcast partner and Marine veteran, Eb Wilkinson, We wish you all a very thoughtful Veterans Day. Jamie Kipper and her father, Gary Kipper, from Tucson Iron and Metal. What are they going to see when they come through the gates?
2: So when they come on in, they'll see our building up front. People have free reign to then go out and look in the yard. So it's not a typical scrapyard with a ton of big machinery. We have a couple of forklifts around, but that's about it just to help move material. So when you come in, it's all organized by material, whether it's square tubing, angle iron, roofing, and then there is a pile in the back, which is still organized and easy to get through, but that's stuff that comes over from the scrap. So we're unique in that we get stuff in from the scrap, which a lot of artists and people will like or reuse, whether it's a sink that someone needs for their house, We sell literally anything made of metal.
0: Tucson Iron and Metal Surplus. Call 209-1579. Stop by the yard, 701 East 36th Street. Open Monday through Saturday.
3: This is Eb Wilkinson of Wilkinson Wealth Management. Are you letting rising inflation interfere with your ammo budget? Don't do that. Let us show you how to buy the same goods and services 20 years from now as you can today. We manage money for gun owners, and we can guide you to retire comfortably and remain comfortably retired. Call me, Eb Wilkinson, at 777-1911 or MGMT.com.